Hello, and thank you for checking out This Is Just A Phase. I'm your host, Jonathan Kent. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody that not only can you listen to this podcast on Spotify, but you also can check us out on Apple iTunes, Google, Anchor, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Uh, That being said, please check out our Facebook group at This Is Just A Phase for updates on current and past episodes, as well as music videos, touring schedules for bands being featured, merch opportunities, and whatever else we feel like putting up on there. Also, if you're into great punk music, please check out the label that I run with Mike Rodemoyer called This Is Just A Record Label. Uh, We have uh, current releases from the Plan Bs, the Prozacs, two amazing comps and releases from Gatlin and Letters. We also have uh, upcoming releases from Less Than Expected, The Vermins, and Dave Strong. So please check us out at thisisjustarecordlabel.bandcamp.com. Well, with all that being said, Jay, let's go. this unbelievable episode, I get to sit down and chat with Rob Huddleston of legendary Virginia punk band Ann Beretta and Scott Pash, owner of DCPC Records. We chat about how the two joined forces for the release of the live album Like a Riot. Now, I fanboy a little bit on this episode because I've been a fan of Ann Beretta ever since I heard them on a Lookout Records comp back in 1999, and quickly bought their second full length to all our fallen heroes. We chat about the band, Scott's label, influences, and Beretta fitting in on Fueled by Ramen and Lookout, recording live and what goes into it, scene gatekeeping, the importance of having a connection with the fans, and so much more on this fun and insightful episode of This Is Just a Phase. To start this episode, I'll be playing the second track on Like a Riot, entitled Haywire. Enjoy.
this one, alright? You can't believe your children. You can't believe your wife. You can't take the credit of fucking up your life. Some people believe me when I tell them I'm alive. They see me walking too slowly. They say I'm too uptight. Well, I don't know what's become of us at all. Everything went haywire and I'm walking on the ball. Well, I don't know what's become of us at all. Everything went haywire and I'm walking. Robin Scott, thank you so much for wanting to come on the podcast. I, I really, uh, I'm really super excited for this episode. Um, awesome. Oh, you're welcome. I, I was, I was a little bit at all when, uh, when Scott contacted me that I'd be able to sit down and talk to him and uh, you as well, Rob. I've, I've been a fan of uh, your band for a very long time. Oh, thank uh, you. Not to try to age you or anything, but uh, <laughs> I got I got into yeah. you guys during the lookout days. So. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, uh, mainly because of like the, the lookout freakout comps and stuff like that, and oh sure, um, discovered your band and um, was super excited that I, I I had the opportunity to get to to get to sit down and and, and chat with you. And, awesome! Um, well, I'm happy to be here too. So yeah, thanks for having us. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Um, I, I'm going to start off by uh, introducing you guys and then we can get started in with the, uh, with the, with the conversation. Cool. Um, awesome. Sounds good, dude. Awesome. Uh, so listener, I'm sitting down and I'm chatting with uh, Rob Huddleston, vocalist and guitarist for the Richmond, Virginia band and Beretta and Scott Pash, owner of DCPC. Uh, out of Orlando, Florida. Um, the two of them uh, connected on a brand new release called Amberetta Like a Riot. It's a live uh, a live uh, series uh, that he has been putting out. And this is volume eight. And it's live from the Broadberry in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, thank you guys so much for uh, being on the podcast. Awesome. Yeah, man. Glad Thanks to be here, us. buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. So uh, let's let, let's start off with with the big question: Is Rob and Scott? Uh, how did you guys get connected to uh, decide to uh, put out this release? Um, well, to be honest, um, I've never met Rob, despite growing up in the D.C., Virginia, Maryland area, and probably being about your age. I'm 46, and seeing Amberetta more than a handful of times. And when I saw something on Instagram about an album coming out. And in that same area, I saw that they had these live recordings. And I was like, wow, wouldn't it be great to put those out on vinyl? Because they've never been released in a physical format, as far as I could tell. So in a blind, like, well, let's just see what happens. I typed up an email and sent it to Rob. And I was like, you don't know me. We probably know someone here or there together. But I'm not going to try and name drop anything. Mm -hmm. This is where I'm from. This is what I do. Would you be interested? And he responded yes. And I was like, "Wow, mind fucking blown!" Nice. For the fences, yeah, right? Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, you know, we we had put out a record called Rise earlier this year, and we just did not even try to con it out. We just wanted to 
do it ourselves, kind of go back to our roots and very like DIY era of, of punk rock. So as part of that, I was um, putting out our digital catalog, getting it kind of out on, you know, all the streaming services that had been missing for a while with Lookout shutting down and, and whatnot. So, um, and us being less active. So in part of doing that, I just decided, well, I've got a couple live recordings. I'll, I'll just throw, add those to the catalog too, and, you know, kind of launch something new with it. Um, and yeah, Scott reached out and it just, everything just seemed to align the best thing for us to do. You know, it was, I think Scott's passion for putting out live records is something that, you know, I love a good live record. Um, personally, I, I records better than studio records. A lot of the times, um, that kind of raw form, but this record was something that, um, you know, it was a, it was a, we recorded this live record at a acoustic show. Um, it's something we'd never had an opportunity to do before. Um, we, several other people friends of ours to play with, with us on that night at, at the broadberry mm -hmm. um we wanted to kind of change things up and mix them up a little bit you know really just to kind of prove that these songs were were great songs or good songs and that we they could kind of punk rock you know so we had our friend jim come in and play fiddle with us we had um, a friend kevin who amazing people and, and and he played keys on with us you know at the show so there was I think there was six of us, maybe seven of us on stage, you know, kind of reinventing all these songs. And we just wanted to, re, you know, capture that moment. And, you know, when Scott reached out, it was like, oh, yeah, this is just this was just meant to be, you know, so it was it was a quick yes for me. And, you know, what's really cool, Rob, is I, 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 I'm happy to hear I've, I've, I've heard tracks off of it. And I, I know exactly what you mean with the additional players and kind of reworking the tracks. But the one thing that I love love about you and uh, and Beretta and your solo stuff is that you you're not afraid to push genres. I mean, I just don't look at yes, I'll say Anne Beretta is a punk band, but I feel like much like bands like The Clash or Stiff Little Fingers, I know two big influences on your Absolutely. band. You're not afraid to go outside the realm of punk, whether you whether there's tinge of more of the more of the pub rock and roll style, you know, or the or the country or, you know, little tinges of things throughout your music. I mean, going back since the beginning of your career, you guys were never afraid to push the envelope as far as just not being. You know, like punk for you guys is a very loose term. Yeah, no, and, I appreciate that. That's that means the world. You know, I think, you know, I'm a kid of the '80s. I, I to the radio. I, I grew up in a time where, on just popular radio, you could hear Camp or Bruce Springsteen, and then the Clash um, or the Ramones. You know, all back to back within the same you know cycle. Um, mm -hmm. Or bands like Led Zeppelin, you know, not not a huge Zeppelin fan, you know, but also bands. Um, so I just, I was always surrounded by so much variety in music. It was hard to, for me, I think, as I was learning to to play music and and starting bands. It was what kind of band I wanted to be in, and I think, you know, I I love, I, I kind of, you know, of course. The, the punk scene here in Richmond and a lot of those friends are still my best friends today. Um, so 
of course I'm going to join a punk band or start a, but I, I think, I think also it was as a limitation of my ability to sing at started out was just like punk rock. That's, that's everything that punk rock is about. You know, you don't have to be the best player, the best singer to write the best words. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of just putting and, and taking those risks. I just always kind of pushed myself to take those risks and I think the first, the first solo record I put out, um, with on Feel by Ramen was, uh, I think that was, and it wasn't the norm yet. You know, it wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, Chuck Reagan, Tim Berry, they hadn't put out solo records yet. You know, it wasn't, you know, all of the punk compilations hadn't happened. Yeah. You know, I, I got a lot of heat yeah. when I first started that. And like, there was kind of this, why are you doing that? I thought you were, you know, in a punk band. I thought you were a punk. And then, but then, you know, Tim Berry came to the studio when I was making that record. And he was like, man, this is like such a brave thing. I want to do this. Um, so it was, it was cool to kind of see some of my friends, you know, kind of follow suit and just explore new territory themselves and, and take it in completely different directions and build careers out of it, you know? Um, but yeah, I, you know, I was always a fan of like singer songwriter stuff, you know, even band, you know, artists like James Taylor, I was a huge James Taylor fan growing up. Um, and so, you know, just kind of applying that to what I was doing songs were always written first on an acoustic guitar sitting on a couch or a front porch anyway so it Mm was for me punk rock was really becoming a songwriter was really just about taking that song and adding some distortion and playing it a little faster and turn the volume up really loud you know it wasn't to me a different song it was interpretation or how you present the song may may slightly be different but for me it was always started on an acoustic guitar first and you know what? And it's it's interesting to hear that you kind of you know you had to you had to sink so others could swim. I mean, you had somebody had to somebody had to do it first. You know, if it wasn't for you taking that initial leap to to put out the the, the music that you wanted to, then not only would we not have your solo recordings, but we wouldn't have Tim Barry. We might not have Chuck Barry, and we may not have any of these people putting out their music because or chuck Rager, sorry um i misspoke but um we wouldn't have these these things these this music that i think is very integral especially in the new millennium of music because we were all maturing you know you can only stay i think you can only stay in one lane for so long musically without getting bored by it or not wanting to incorporate other influences in what you're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I and think you it know, also I, shows the, uh, the crossover appeal, like, you know, in promoting this record, I think Chuck and I were both super pleased that we got one of the songs on a, a country playlist. Um, I already try and send stuff to different blogs and websites that are not strictly punk rock because I kind of have crazy. a 15 year old daughter who like listens to whatever she likes on TikTok, whether it's the the Pixies or Billie Eilish or Olivia Rodrigo or Naz, a little Nas. So she doesn't have a genre specific. She just likes good songs. So I try when I'm promoting something to go, you know what? They may not want to, this may not be the normal place where a two-man advantage song is going to be heard, but I'm going to go ahead and toss it out there and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm promoting Rob's on the, uh, his new Amberette, I was like, you know, I was like, well, they're ostensibly a punk band, but some of the punk playlists were like, well, this isn't punk. I was like, well, it is if you if you understand the context. And then I'm sending it to country stuff. And so it was very interesting seeing how, you know, punk being taken at a different perspective could be spread in different ways. It was, it was actually really fun to kind of like spread my own wings as like promoting a release this way. 
Mm, yeah, I very just, interesting. That was that was mind blowing to you know to start seeing like country playlists picking this the songs up or you know getting written about in on country blogs or whatever. But it it just speaks to the you know the quality of the song. And and I have to say like I won't take any sort of credit for inspiring what others have done like my friends you know Tim and Chuck or, or anyone else. But you know for me it always started with like Billy Bragg or a band like The Alarm like or the clash you know like bands that punk bands that had driven songs you know and it, it was just that was always kind of the inspiration or, or at least for me in my like okay acoustic you know punk doesn't have to just be just a guitar like there can be these points and and other bands have proven it before me so it was just me kind of leaning into some of those influences i, I think at the time also but but awesome. yeah I think some of these songs on country radio or country uh you know and kind of mine uh, it's been really cool yeah well you're very humble but I, I i just meant is you know going 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 to take the step to do the acoustic music obviously tim thought it was cool that you were doing it and you know eventually would follow suit doing doing similar kind of music but i think what's really interesting is is scott you can understand this too is like we're like i'm i'm in ohio but i i grew up right across the line in pennsylvania and it's very hard i'm sure virginia is the same way where it's it's very hard not to be influenced by country music to a certain extent you know my grandparents were in a country western band in the early 50s and they used to play a they used to play a venue over in Youngstown called the called Ponderosa Park, and a lot of country musicians would pass through there. And country was very much embedded in the area, and so it was nothing for me to grow up and to listen to Johnny Cash and you know Waylon Jennings and Hank Williams and like you know even stuff like Billy Bragg and. It was it was nothing for me to grow up listening to that. So like it's always a part of my DNA somewhere, um, you know. Modern country, not so much, but that 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 that, that grassroots kind of country western stuff. It's it's nice when I hear bands do it. You know, even bands like back in the day, you know, like the Jayhawks and Sunvolt and um, Whiskey Town bands like that. You know yeah, that we're kind of always on the on the edge of that that country alternative world. Yeah, you know, and I think if you listen to, I think the first band that really reminded me that like of country as an influence was Social Distortion. You know, mm -hmm. about the you know this is done with Social Distortion. I agree with you. Like, I think I'm I'm certainly not a fan of like modern country, but mm -hmm. I've always looked. Maybe this is just my broad view. Of punk rock is, but I've always country singer songwriters you know the johnny cash the waylon jennings nelson's i mean even thinking about like i'm a fan like to me that's just as punk as anything anything else out there you know just as much as the clash or the sex pistols so mm -hmm. yeah i mean I, I couldn't agree more my, my old my old dc hardcore band used to do three like uh country remixes punk songs we did uh good night irene wreck of the old 97 and long black veil and it's because they were just great songs and they translated just being played fast with distortion because a good song is a good song regardless. You know, it didn't need to be a hardcore song originally for us to take it and make it something that uh, that matched our uh, our style. And we enjoyed that kind of music. We liked listening to old bluegrass and stuff like that on 
NPR because we're nerdy people like that. Yeah, and so many of them are just are really simple three to begin with, you know. So there's not a ton of difference if you just, you know, any of those Johnny Cash songs, you know, uh, Ring of Fire is a great example. You know, it's it's three, it's a great great hook and it's it's really powerful message in that song. And you just turn the volume up and maybe play it a little faster. It's a punk song, you know. Yeah. So I would think the psychobilly stuff probably plays a little bit in helping that too. You know, you got the upright bass and you've certainly got that sort of mm -hmm. rockabilly, you know, Buddy Holly-esque, like uh, country rock feel to it. And the, I think that psychobilly scene helped uh, loosen up the terms of what can be done a little bit. Yeah, yeah sure. Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Lee Lewis really opened the door with that one, too. You know, playing, play, almost playing like a maniac when everything was very proper. I mean, you went on stage, you you didn't dance. You didn't, you didn't do anything like that as a performer. You stood up there and and did your performance and got off the stage. And he, you know, he was a rebel in that way. And if it wasn't for somebody like that, you know, that, that essentially would birth, you know, rockabilly and maybe loosely, you know, who, who depends on who you talk to the first punk rocker, um, you know, to, to kind of push down the walls like that. Like, you know, you, you can cross, you can cross place through genres and, and create something new in the process. Yeah, I mean, if you think about at the core of punk rock and just the rebellion nature of it, like all of those guys that we've just talked about, um, and 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 women too, you know, um, Loretta Lynn, like they mm -hmm. were all, you know, to some degree anti-establishment, giving a big middle finger to what was the status quo. Dolly Parton, and, yeah, Wanda Jackson, yeah, yeah, you know, like there's nothing more punk than than that, you know, and so it's. Yeah. It's not very much kind of the same. It's just, you know, a different. All right, we're going to try something a little different with this one, too. Uh, this one's called Lipstick and Makeup.
Um, Scott, I wanted to talk to you for a minute. Um, basically, just I want to talk to you about uh, you know being from D- the DC area. Uh, you're now in Florida, and you're, you're doing DC PC. Uh, can you tell me a little little bit about how you started the label and um, what led to to this moment of of deciding to do the live series as opposed to uh, doing those you know, studio releases? Absolutely. So uh, I moved down here about 14 or so years ago, and about five or six years ago, I started a band, uh, Calling Dead, and my old my bass player Mike lives in Port Charlotte, so it's DC for me, PC for Port Charlotte. Okay. Um, he came to me and said, Scott, I know you used to do shows all the time in DC and Baltimore. I'd like to start doing shows again, too. I used to do them in Port Charlotte. We want to get together and start booking shows. So we booked our first show with the Anti-Queens, and then we started doing more and more shows. And that was just kind of a, a fun way to fill in the gaps because our band couldn't always play as many shows as we wanted. But Mike and I just loved going to shows. So we wanted to book them, right? Um, then the pandemic happened. So we decided to try doing a live stream. And we did it out of uh, Danger Room Recording Services, which is basically a giant warehouse with no bathrooms and no air conditioning. Um, and we said, okay, we'll do a live stream out of this, see what happens. We invited uh, a band that is actually made of former students I used to teach to come and do it with us. That way, if it like sucked balls, it wouldn't be a problem because mm-hmm. we're just hanging out with our friends. So we did it, heard the recording. So I was like, we're in the studio. Might as well record it too while we're at it. And then I went to Mike and I was like, you know, dude, I was a huge fan of the VML Live uh, series back in the uh, back in the day, and I would so love to like start a record label and just make it like live only. We'll do short runs of vinyl live albums. It'll be a niche. I don't know how many albums we'll be able to put out. I don't know how easy it will be to get live recordings, but like let's let's just give that a whirl. And so we did, and so by the end of December, we will have put out nine or 11 records in a year and a half oh wow so so and i have about four or five more on the line and it's uh it's just weird it's because it's like sometimes i have bands like robs that already had a pre-recording you know two manage advantage you're the fist they had stuff already or actually you're the fist did a live stream and sent it and then that same guy uh josh at danger room studios he is literally someone needs to talk to him um, on a podcast because he runs Orlando Punk Archive. So he can tell you everything about like Orlando Punk Rock going back into the 80s. But he also records almost every punk, ska, and metal band or whatever here. And he charges like this crazy low price. And he's super nice. So I talked him into bringing his entire studio with him to a place downtown called Uncle Lou's and letting me do shows. And he'll set up and record four bands back to back. And I tell the bands, look, the recording's free. If you don't like the recordings, then we just delete them. If you like the recordings, but you don't uh, want to do anything with me, I will give you the recordings for free. So how about we record the show? And very few bands say no, because what do they have to lose from that? Mm-hmm. And then once that happens, we go through, we mix and master and see what goes. And um, it's it's been really fun and just, just different because not everybody, like Rob and I love the live albums, but not everybody does. Like some of my very first albums were like Circle Jerks Gigs, live album. Fear live for the record, Agnostic Front live at CBGB's, The Exploited live at the White House. So many of my early first albums were, were live. So I just really love that aesthetic and feel. Mm-hmm. And I like it too because uh, you put out you put out the Ratchet Boys. Uh, you put out my buddy Steve's band, Wrath and the Wise Guys. They did a split with the Cutoffs. You've done uh, you've done Grave Return, the Hamilton, some kind of nightmare. Um, 
you're really, I mean, you're really just putting out what you enjoy and, 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 and hoping other people enjoy them too. Yeah. I'm kind of trying to document the scene of what happens and also go back to my past. Like we have the goons were a seminal band for me growing up. I'm about the same age as those guys. We've been playing mm-hmm. uh, shows together in DC since I was 16 and they broke up right before I left uh, the DC area and we played a, uh, their goodbye show. And I have their old Live at the Black Cat from like 2001 when they were on tour with the Rukers and Molotov Cocktail on CD. So I reached out to them and was like, hey, you guys ever want to put this out on vinyl? It's coming out. Uh, pre-order starts in November. And then they've got a show with HR and the FUs in January at the Black Cat to uh, celebrate the album. Awesome. I'm going to have to tell my, 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 my buddy Mike. He lives in the Ashburn area. I'm going to have to tell him to go up there and check that one out. Oh, it'll be great. I, I'm flying up for it, so... <laughs> awesome um so back back to you rob um i really wanted to talk to you a little bit about about your band and and just kind of gush over your band for a little bit for my own my own fanboy uh thing for right you know um i told you earlier I, I i got into your band um around 99 uh when you guys put out tall tall or fallen heroes and um, went back in your back catalog and, and picked up Bitter Tongues and Nobody's Heroes and stayed consistently a fan throughout your guys' career. And I, we were talking earlier about how you guys always kind of did your own thing musically. You never stayed into the niche. Um, so I wanted to ask you a question. Like, did you find early on, like with Fueled by Ramen and, and, and then Lookout Records, did you, did you guys feel that like... <laughs> Did you feel like getting on a label like that? Was, was there some fear attributed to it because those labels weren't known for the kind of music you guys were playing? Like, was there any kind of trepidation when, when you guys signed? No, I don't think so. I mean, with Fuel by Ramen, I think we were like the sixth record they put out, I think. And, you know, typically, like, they were known as... Um, yeah, because of Vinny from Less and Jake, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, actually, so, like, the story there is that um, Tony Weinbender, who puts on the fest in Gainesville, mm-hmm. from Virginia. He's when I was in a band called Inquisition. Russ and I are and Beretta's drummer. We were in a band. Um, Tony was in a band called Swank. So we all just together knew really well. And Inquisition ended. <clears throat> I think I, I don't remember if I sent him a cassette tape or somehow he got his hands on a cassette tape that was just some demos we had recorded. Um, and, you know, he started working, I think he was living with Chuck Reagan at the time. This is maybe like 90. So, yeah, it's probably 96, 97. He then started working for Less Than Jake and, you know, going on tour with them. And I, I get a call from Vinny saying like, hey, you know, if Tony's played this tape for me. It's being passed around the Warp Tour. Everyone loves it. I've got a label. Can you you know, we're, we'll be in D.C. Can you come up and um, hang out with us and we'll talk about, you know, maybe putting something out. And it just so happened that like three bands, I think, um, <clears throat> who to her, who were all like starting a label or had a label, some sort of affiliation had had called. And so it was kind of kind of interesting and pretty odd to like. I think it was at RFK Stadium, um, and met with a bunch of a bunch of dudes that best friends. But you know, Vinny was like the one guy, guy. I, I talked to. Um, and he was, he was just, again, it was just like a very DIY thing. He was like, we started this label in our college dorm rooms and, you know, we, here's our plan and what we're working on, you know, yeah, we do the ska thing, but we really think like you guys sound a lot like the clash you're bringing 
of elements into your songs and it would just be like a really cool fit and, and maybe kind of a, a new thing for us to start to explore. Um, and we also, I just really liked the fact that, you know, again, it was, it was very like DIY oriented at the time. The label was just really in its infancy and starting out. Um, but he wasn't putting any demands on us. You know, it wasn't us here's what for you and how we're going to help you yeah. out. And, um, and then of course there was the less than Jake, you know, we had played some inquisition had anyway with less than Jake. So we were familiar with them, but he was like, you know, we love to take young bands on tour and, and we can, we can help you build and maybe a different audience than what you would have access to otherwise. So it just felt like a really good relationship, really good partnership. <clears throat> and I think, um, you know, I was thinking about this earlier, like fuel bar, a pretty amazing label and their story is, is pretty outstanding too. Like, you know, they, and I think we mm -hmm. were a turning point for the label where they were starting to sign more kind of rock oriented bands, you know, um, Cadillac Blindsides and a band that I remember signing pretty soon after us. Um, and, you know, then like years later, there was, you know, they, they got more, I think Fuel by Ramen was getting some labels and trying to, you know, build street credibility and kind of, um, for some majors um with yeah, bands Warner like Brothers. Yeah. it was yellow card and fallout boy and you know um paramore i think you know so like the evolution of that label is like a really story and I, I you know it's it's i'm proud to be part of that and maybe part of the turning point for the label where they did kind of shift into some new territory and i think lookout was kind of the same like lookout you know if you i think we all you know kind of growing up in the 90s are of that era that um you did kind of align your fandom and your, you know, your music taste with record labels. It wasn't just mm -hmm. a fan. It was like, I'm a fan of Lookout. I'm a fan of Fat Records. I'm a fan of, you know, Vagrant or, you know, any other labels. Um, and you really did anything that that label puts out, you're going to be a fan of. Um, or it was just a really cool environment. I think I grew up, you know, in kind of that time frame, especially thinking about, you know, starting Ann Beretta. Um, you know, I was influenced by bands like 15 and Crim Shrine, and I was a fan of, of the Lookout catalog. Lookout. Um, yeah. Like, like if we could label family, like that was one that we very early on, that was a goal that we set. Um, so when that happened, you know, it be part of, part of that label story too. And, you know, as bands like us and American Steel, and I think kind of coming on the heels of the Donna's success, you know, it was, it was also kind of a pivotal moment for the label and kind of a, a new direction for the label. We were kind of the second second wave of, of lookout bands. Um, and so, you know, just really, I think for us as a band, of both of those labels story and kind of history was just, just something, you know, looking back on just something really amazing to be part of, you know, it's, it's bigger than our own story, it's, you know, it's those labels. And you know what? And I'm so, you know, you were inside my head because I was even, I was just thinking in my head, American still, you guys. So it's crazy that you said that band. Um, because like when somebody comes to me and goes, oh, well, look how it's just a, just a pop punk record label. And I'm like, no, no, like, let, let me show you the stuff that they were doing. And like you mentioned 15 and Crimshine and even Operation Ivy. I mean, they were a yeah. spot band. They weren't, they weren't screeching weasel you know what i mean they were completely different and then you guys and american still and avel and yeah. all these bands that were coming out it was like there was 
there was something going on and I don't know if that was when when Chris uh Applegren took over the label but you know they were ta- they were willing to take risks and then there were bands like Biz who are like still one of my favorite lookout bands they were willing to take risks because they were evolving because the scene was involving you know what I mean like you have yeah, yeah. to and be- you know you think about it too like you know I think even kind of after our era of lookout, um, there was kind of this evolution into more kind of like a garage rock, you know, you had Ted Leo and the pharmacist, you know, like that, mm-hmm. that he put, I forget what it's called, something about the tyranny, but anyway, like that's, that's one of my favorite records on the entire lookout catalog, you know, like mm-hmm. it's just amazing records, but they, they also, yeah, you're right. Like they were very brave and kind of, forward thinking in in the evolution of that label and starting to you know put out a, a pretty wide variety of bands and and same thing when he was running the label like you mentioned some you know great examples with op ivy being more of a ska influence band versus um mm-hmm. you know 15 is a band like I, I think jeff ott is someone that early on gave me the i think the courage to front a band um mm-hmm. i think jeff ott is a great singer but his voice is not what I think the mainstream would consider to be a, a great voice, you know? And I think, yeah. I think bands like 15 singers like Jeff Ott and guitar players like Jeff Ott really gave me the courage to, to just put myself out there. You know, I, I never considered myself to have a great voice. I think it's, it's evolved over time as I've gotten older and maybe it's gotten a little better. Um, but when I started, I certainly would have never considered myself to be a singer. Um, but but it was those types of bands and those types of singers that you know Tom Waits is another example of someone with a really like throaty gravelly voice um, Leatherface you know Frankie mm-hmm. um, I think uh, you know you know again just gave me the courage to kind of step out put myself out there and um, and give it a shot you know and yeah absolutely some, some level of career at, at one point in my life you know because without those bands I would have never been brave enough to to try any, anything that I've done, you know? Yeah. And you, and you, and you brought up Ted Leo another time and during that span that it was a band that I discovered through lookout as well was, was pretty girls make graves and yeah. the, the stuff that they, yeah, the, the former members um, of a couple bands, uh, murder city devils being one of them, um, you know, they were willing to take it. And you know what? And w- when I started my label, the one, the one thing I, I, I told, you know, my partner in the label, I said, you know, and I don't want to stay one subgenre specific. I just don't want to put out hardcore records. I just don't want to put out pop punk records. I want to put out, you know, I want to put out music that I dig. And considering that I come from a very wide variety of music, I mean, I got into punk in the early 90s. So much different types of punk has come my way that it's, it's, I don't want to have to sit there and cherry pick what I listen to, you know, or what I present to, 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 to people who want to buy records. Um, I think if you keep your if if you keep your you know if you keep your mind open to music, there's there's so much out there for you to for you to get into. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. couldn't agree more. I wouldn't want to just focus on one sort of thing. You know, your discussion made me think of I read Larry Livermore's uh, How to Ruin a Record Label. Mm-hmm. He has a whole story about Tim Barry walking into his office and saying, "Here's our tape. You want to put us out?" And he described Tim as like I don't know this country guy in camo or whatever walked in here and. I had heard of the band and I heard they put on a good show, but I was like, I just don't think they're lookout type of band. And then he went to see him and was like, yeah, never mind. I'm putting them on. 
But then he, but he did get, he did get some flack for it because you know they have they have that classic that classic rock um, sort of like seventies rock uh, aspect in them. They're not just a pure hardcore punk band. They definitely have like you know influences from you know that don't fit the traditional expectation of punk back then. Yeah, and I think what's so cool, and I'm glad you brought that up, Scott, is like the thing now is like. When, when bands start out now, people don't really question, like, you know, their influences or anything. They are, like, really try to dissect their sound because I think so much, so much punk, different kinds of punk music has come out. It's almost just, like, okay, punk is now considered a melting pot of, of yeah. a million different types of music. And it's okay to incorporate country or blues or, you know, in some cases, even hip-hop. You know what I mean? It's the ethics that matters. It's it's the yeah. ethics of the community. And if you're part of that ethics and community, then I don't worry about whether or not you sound like an Appalachian rocker or whether you're bringing in some hip hop elements. I'm concerned with the quality of the soul you're putting into the music and the effort and the your ability to be part of the community and be supportive and, and those sort of ethics. That's what I look at. Yeah. And yeah, I so come from, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I've always felt, you know, punk rock is, for me, the music and more lifestyle, the, the, the rebellion. It's, it's, you know, the music is a part of that, of course, but like you mentioned, like, there's so many different varieties of, of punk music. Um, but to me, at the core of it, at the center of it, is, is that rebellion, is that attitude style um component you know and so that's when i think of punk rock i i kind of remove the music from the equation to some degree so do i you know and that's really cool that to hear somebody of your caliber to to, to agree because it's like you have so many people over the years who who want to kind of like gatekeep the scene and and, and say what or what isn't punk it's like who made any of us experts on a scene when the, the the original bands that were coming out were bands that were just playing rock and roll, it seems so funny to me that it's like at, at the root of punk rock was always the rock and roll part. You know, and and it, just, it, anything it, could be rock and roll, basically. Yeah, yeah, and I think for me, that was one of the biggest kind of pain points of the scene in the '90s. Was you know, it was like these gatekeepers of punk rock, like you know, and not to call anyone out, but there was, there were so many like rules being applied to what is punk, what isn't punk. You're not punk enough. You're not this, you're not that. And it was just like, you know, from where I was coming from, my view of punk wasn't about the rules. It was about breaking those rules. So, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to tell me that I'm not because I'm not following, fitting into this formula or following this set of rules, then, you know, that's not, that's not the punk I want to be, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I, I thought it was a really interesting dynamic, you know, at that, that time frame. There was there were a lot of like rule makers in punk and people that were declaring, you know, what punk was or what punk wasn't. And it just it it never really set well with me. No.
Um, let's get away from that topic real quick. And I just want to go over uh, the, the live album again and just kind of go over some of some of the songs that you that you guys included on it. I mean, it's it's, uh, 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 you know, a lot of your popular songs, uh, Haywire, Lipstick, Make- Lipstick and Makeup, Bottle Caps, Forever Family, Love's Easy Tears, Vengeance, uh, MCA, uh, just a great amount of tracks that really have spanned your career. Um, you know, and I and I want the listener to please go check out this record. Uh, if they they haven't heard Ann Beretta, please do yourself a favor and check them out because you won't be disappointed. And I, like, I still can't get over that I'm talking to you because, like I said, like I'm such such a fan of your band, and uh, your your band has really kind of opened my eyes to to other styles of punk rock. And I, I'm really happy that like you put this collection out because it really encapsulates um, your band in a different setting. And I, I really found that, I really found that awesome. Yeah. Thank you. No, I mean, we're all just dudes, you know, like, I think it's, it, it's cool to be able to connect like this, you know, like, um, and again, I, you know, I, I think you, you kind of credited me for being humble earlier. Like, <laughs> you know, I think I, I try to be, I hope to be like, you know, I, I try not to be, jerk or anything but um you know this this music has always just been a gateway for for me to and this career that we've had has always just been a way to like connect with more people in different contexts or different you know much i guess more broad landscape than what i would have done other like for me it's been about the connection made with you know i think i think in our career like there's been moments where we were like a really exceptional, like tight live band. We put on a really great show, but um, there's always better bands and, you know, always bands that, you know, got more, more credit for something or more popular or something. But, um, you know, it was never, I'm not going to lie and say that that wasn't something that we all, you know, making these connections with people was, I think that was the most important and, you know, having some sort of impact on someone's life, you know, like, I mean, I could tell you stories. I never thought I would have stories to share where, you know, a song that I wrote had such a major impact on someone's life. Or, you know, I remember meeting a 16 year old girl outside of a show in Philadelphia. It was probably 99. The reason she didn't end her life was because of a song that we wrote. And, you know, that type of Knowing that, you know, if that was the one and only time, and that's actually happened a couple of times, but if that was the one and only time something like that ever happened, like I can live the rest of my life knowing that I had an impact on someone and something that I, I created, like helped someone through, or, you know, time that they were struggling and, or, you know, changed the course of their life. That to me, I can't even put that in, like, into words like that just that just means the world knowing that you can connect with someone or have an impact on someone's life that you you've never met or never spoken to. Like that to me is like just the most amazing thing about being in a band and creating some kind of art and, you know, putting yourself out there, you know? And that's so amazing. I mean, I, I, when I, when I first met my wife, she, she wasn't a, she wasn't into the punk scene and um, she knew bands and stuff like that, but was never in the scene. Um, but we started talking and we had gone to a, a couple shows together and she goes, you know, the one thing I like about the the probably number one thing I like about the punk scene is how 
how interactive the bands are with their fans. It's just you like like you know you can walk up and shake their hand and thank them and you know take a picture with them and have a conversation with them and there's no <laughs> there's no ego there's no wall between artist and fan you know it's very you know and that's what attracted me to the scene going to shows at 14 15 years old and getting to meet the singer or getting to meet the bass player and get to have a conversation and you know, hey, I really like your music and them appreciate the moment as much as you do. Like you said, that girl came to you. You took away from that experience what she also took away from that experience. And you don't get that from other forms of music. Not not to the caliber, I think, emotionally, bands and fans have that connection together. It's, it's something very powerful and something why over the past 27 years of me being a part of, I, I've never taken that thing for granted. Yeah, I mean, th those friendships are essential. When I, what I've loved about it and what's like, you know, kind of blew some of my bandmates and even my, my, my daughters away. It's like, I booked this last tour and they're like, well, how do you book? And I was like, oh, I contacted my buddy from DC who I haven't spoken to since 2010. And he hooked me up and my buddy in Philly got me three shows and I haven't even spoken to him since 2006. But we played lots of shows together. We hung out in those in that time, and those friendships just kind of always stick. Um, I did a I was supposed to do a run of shows with some kind of night. We we're filling in on drums, and their van broke down, and we were staring at uh, Jerry Lafamina. He runs a uh, punk art um, Savage Mountain Punk Arts, and he let some kind of nightmare stay at his house for an entire week. Helped them get a GoFundMe going to fix their van, and and it's that kind of community and love and he gave me a place to stay for a couple of days never having met me at all and like just that you would do that for people that you can kind of go hey we're more than just music it's more than the show it's these long-term connections that once we've made them years can pass but if you reach out and you need me to send my power i got you yeah and you know what and i'm so and i'm so happy that you brought that out too because me and you haven't known each other very long scott but we're we're in we're in a group together of the scene scene the shining scene collective. You came to us. You were doing a you were doing a a a, a fundraiser. You were doing a coupon book for your your stepmom who passed yeah. away. Uh, the the Sally Pash punk yes. rock um, a coupon book for cancer research, and we all contributed to it. We yeah. all wanted to see something positive come your way and to raise awareness and to help you out and, and to give to a good cause. And that's another thing about punk rock is like you always have each other's back, you know, and, and, you know, and that, and then that far trumps the music that far trumps the attitude. It, 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 it goes beyond, you know, the way we dress, the way we act, the sense of community is always present whether you've known somebody for 10 years 15 years or two months yep you're, you're all looking out for each other in the community and it's something powerful that i just i haven't seen elsewhere and i can't thank those bands in fact rob rob and amberetta they they also uh, they also helped out on that and um you know when my dad found out what i am I'm, I'm about to cry here for a second hold on my dad found out um you know, he was he was beyond moved. He thought that was like the uh, the nicest thing that a bunch of people would get together and do something like that in honor 
of her. So it was really special. So I thank you all for that. You're welcome. I didn't want. To, I didn't mean to make you cry. Scott. It's okay. It's okay. Just now happens. you're gonna make me fucking cry. We're gonna be like, not nah, we're a bunch of pussies on the podcast. <laughs> but you know, but, you like, know on, a, on, a, on a funner <laughs> note, like on the Cinder was coming to play Orlando before Fest, and they texted me and they said, "Hey, we're near the airport. Checking out. What can we do?" I was like, "Oh, I live near the airport." My wife jumped into action, ran to the store. She's like, six people got it." And she got food from like twenty people and more beer and white claw and truly, which I guess is janky white claw than you could imagine. <laughs> and they hung out here for like hours and hours before the show. And I'm like, I had not even met them. I'm like, just like, who are these? I was like, oh, they're a band from Buffalo. They're friends of friends, so they're gotta be good people. And she's like, but you don't know them, and they're in her house. I'm like, yeah, it's okay. It'll be fine. Trust me. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be. Trust me. Trust me, it'll be fine, kids. <laughs> the strange tattoo people will be fine. Shh. Yeah, just uh, let them be. They're nice. They're nice people. They're just like your parents. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> She's like that doesn't make us feel better. <laughs> but yeah, I was. I was going to say something similar to that too. Like uh, what you're talking about, the power of this community, right? Like it, it's a friend of a friend is is your friend regardless like you know the links that i think any of us will go our friends for people that our friends connect us with and you know the friend of a friend like I, i've done the exact same thing scott you know it's like someone calls and can you help book a show so so and so gave us your phone number well if they gave you my phone number of course i'm going to help you book um, yeah you know or or hey you know like do you guys need a place to stay do you need you know do you need food do you need to you know do some laundry like it's and it kind of back to what I was talking talking about earlier too, like just that whole like we all started somewhere, you know, and like we all and if uh, I don't want to say every band, I don't want to overgeneralize, but we specifically and many of our peers, um, the way we started was, you know, just hoping you made a show and staying and you know meeting some some kid you know some college kid or high school kid who would invite you to stay at their house and you know they happen to live with their parents but their parents were cool enough to you know let you sleep on their floor and do some laundry like just paying all that forward i think is such a such a core part of this community that we're all a part of and you know opportunity to do that you know um i don't care who it is or like they play or what what the band is you know if if they reach you know, especially if there's a connection with someone that, you know, um, then then absolutely I'll extend that courtesy and, and try to help them out as best I can because because people were doing that when we started that for us today, just like you were talking about, Scott. But, you know, like we're not again just kind of getting back to our DIY roots. Like when we play shows now, it's not because we have a booking agent; it's because I'm reaching out to people or connecting with people or people are reaching out to us. Um, just to help out and try to put something together. So it's, you know, I, I think I think that's some of the best times and so, some of the most important times of, of the thing that we all do, you know, just making those connections again. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I even, I'm, I'm working on my PhD and part of my PhD application is explaining what made me a good teacher. And I literally say that it was my ability to make human connections that I learned from the punk rock community and my ability to um, help people and be part of a world where we question the world around us. And I think that's really good for education and just being authentic and, um, you know, teaching middle school kids, you know, seeing, showing them respect and seeing them for not just what they can be later, but just for who they are in that moment and trying to understand their world and giving value to that. 
Um, that, that's kind of what I learned from being in the punk rock world. You meet someone and you try and understand where they're from and you try and make those connections and you, and, and those connections matter and they're not fake. Like they're, they're authentic and it can happen quickly. So I'm, I'm able to, uh, at least that's what I perceive myself. I perceive myself as being able to get a classroom of 30 kids and go, okay, how can I understand these kids in a way that shows that I want to know them for who they are and respect for what they have to offer um, right now and value their journey that they're on. Absolutely. You guys said it best. It's, it's getting to meet people and no matter the circumstances, something led them to this moment. And when it led to the moment, you found your, you found people who were like you and they could share their story with people who would understand, you know, so many things of growing up is people not understanding what you're going through. Mm -hmm. When you find people who are going through similar things, it makes that bond even stronger. And that's why you see these bonds lasting for so long. I mean, my longest friendships have been with people I've played in bands with or played shows with people in other bands or fans of going to see bands and sharing stories, you know, some 20 some years later and, and still having that friendship all these years, it's, it far outweighs the friendships you had in high school or the friendships you made when you were a child. These friendships that you make within the scene are just so strong and they stay so strong no matter how much time passes, whether you see them or you don't, it just, it stays strong. And I, I love that. Awkward silence. Awkward silence. <laughs> I, I, I tell my students. I didn't, have, I didn't have anything silent. to follow. I didn't have anything good to follow that up with. Like it was just, it was, as poignant as it could be. So yeah, don't and, and don't worry. The awkward silence is going to stay in the episode. I'm love not it, cutting that it. out. Love it. <laughs> well, Rob Scott, thank you both for uh, coming on the podcast and talking to me and uh, allowing me to uh, chat your guys' ears off um, about the project. Um, I want to remind everybody to please check out. Um, the new release, Anbretta, Like a Riot, DC, PC, Live, Volume 8, Live from the Broadberry, Richmond, Virginia. It's acoustic set. Um, uh, the you know, best of, of their, their career. Uh, fantastic songs going back as far as the uh, late 90s. Um, also, do yourself a favor and check out DC, PC, The Label. Um, they have other great releases as well. And also do yourself a favor and check out the most recent studio release by Enbretta. It's called Rise, and it was released earlier this year. You can check out all these things on uh, streaming sites um, like uh, Spotify and Bandcamp. And also, I'm sure if you reach out to Enbretta directly and Scott directly, uh, they can get you a copy of those releases. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having us. And if you don't mind, I'll do some quick shameless promotion. Um, Absolutely. That, as, as Scott is very well aware of, like vinyl production as a result of the pandemic and all the supply chain issues, as it takes five times as long as it used to. Um, you know, it's six to eight months waiting for a, a vinyl to get made. So 
that new album rise that came out in february we've just gotten our hands on on the vinyl um i can't say i've got my hands on it the the label has and they're sending them to us but so we're gonna anyone that is on vinyl it should be shipping out this week uh, for anyone in the u.s and canada we're going to be adding it to our website and our store for pre-order and hope to have those shipping out um early december and then also just a quick plug um we are about to so we've had two releases come out this year which has been pretty pretty exciting we are actually going to have a third release coming out in december um, we have some extra tracks that didn't make the make the record and some covers we're going to be putting out a record, uh, a digital record, an, an EP that we'll announce in the next two weeks. It'll come out on Bandcamp Friday, I think, in December. December 2nd is what we're going to target. Um, and all of the proceeds, um, you know, this EP or these couple songs, all of the proceeds are going to be donated. Organization uh, that we're talking with, they, they support um, friends and families of addicts. And you know, there's a lot of trauma associated with your loved ones and their addictions. Um, it's a hot topic for us right now, a very top of mind for us right now, and, and something that we're going to be supporting. We're looking forward to putting out some new music and then also using that as a vehicle to raise some money for for an organization that's been helping a few of us out more recently. More to come on those things, but um, check out our social media. We'll be posting about that in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. Thank you much for sharing that, Rob. I appreciate that. And I will make sure to uh, post that on when the episode comes out, too. And uh, again, thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a lot of fun getting to chat with you and get to connect with you. It's been it's been yeah, really it's been awesome. Kind of fun. Yeah, it's been a blast, buddy. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you two enjoy the rest of your night and I'll be in touch soon and I'll let you guys know when the episode comes out and and uh, which will be here in the next couple days, and I'll have that out, and I'll uh, hit you guys up on the socials and let you know. Sounds awesome. good, buddy. Thank you both so much. You're yeah. welcome. Yeah. Have a good you night, too. Enjoy the rest of your night. See you guys. Right. Later. Bye. How you guys doing? You all right? Yeah? All right. Here's a new one. You might have heard this one before, but not quite like this. This one's called Wild, Young, and Free.
Like no other night Like 